I need to, before I start, I need to give a small uh, little disclaimer. <laughs> because I'm going to use some naughty words, but they're in the Bible. So I'm allowed to use them because they're written in the Bible. But before I do that, we are mums and dads. We are very close. I promise the next weekend we will have the toddler room and the, the mother room um, with audio that will work and it will work very well. There will be a camera and audio on both those TVs. I promise it will be done by next weekend. We've had two hiccups, major hiccups, but it's fixed. We, tomorrow it happens. We run all the cables, so we should be okay. So there will be a, a room up there. But during the week on Monday morning, I was on the treadmill at the gym listening to a podcast and I heard God say, Jeremiah, put Jeremiah in my heart. So I thought, okay, I'll go home. And I went home to try and read Jeremiah. And every time I opened my Bible and sat down to read, my phone would ring or something would would burst or something would happen. And it took me about three days to finally get through what God was asking me. And I said, God, I don't want to read Jeremiah because I know what's in there. And if you're asking me to preach from Jeremiah, then it's going to be a challenging message and we've had enough of challenging messages. God, I've had enough of challenging messages. I want to just sit by the lake and I just want to wash my face and I want to, I want to just sit there. But see, as Christians, we love to talk about seasons only when it's good for us. I'm in a good season or there's a good season coming. But we don't like to talk about it when we're in a challenging season. And at the moment, we are in an extraordinarily challenging season. And everything points to the fact that it's going to get more and more challenging, that what's on the horizon for us is more challenge. So when God showed me Jeremiah, I started to ask him, why? What are you doing? We can't handle more of this. God, we need, we need rest and recuperation. But I wrote my sermon and I prepared it with something else, thinking maybe during worship I'd get a word that would lead me to a different sermon. And I just said to Sean while I was worshipping, I saw an open vision of a train. It was dark, it was pitch black, and I saw a light on a train coming towards me. And I heard God say, will you get on the train with me? And I've heard other people recently give this word, and, and it's a challenging word. But I heard God say to me, the train is there, will you get on this train with me? And you know, everything at the moment is pointing toward God moving in a people, a remnant, who are ready to lay down their lives and say, yes, God, I'll do it. Choose me. I preached the last two weeks out of Job, encouraging us to, to, to challenge ourselves. And then when we, when we do that, there's a lot of chairs empty. There's a lot of people struggling with it. And that's okay. It's a journey that we have to walk out. I'm walking through, guys, to say this is, this is a tough message. I know. I have to write the thing. I have to go through it as well. I have to sit there and say, Lord, this is too hard. 
But you see, if God, if we will do what God's asking us to do, He will always bring us into a place we could never bring ourselves. He will always lead us to a place where the pasture is greener and the water is fresher. He will always take us. So I'm willing to listen. God, I'm willing. I said that I wanted to be refined by fire six months ago. I said that. And then when we're standing in the fire, we can't say, God, it's too hot in here. Well, refining takes a level of heat. Refining takes a lot of heat. I don't know if you've ever put a can in a fireplace. It takes a long time to melt the aluminium or aluminum if you're from America. When we get refined by fire, it takes a long time. So I said to God, what are you doing? We need something. I need to understand why. And he led me to, to Matthew chapter 25. Verse 1 to 13. And it says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, he's here, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus gives this parable when the disciples ask him, When are we going to be with you? Not only does he tell them you aren't to know the, the day or the hour, you're not to know the place, he gives them this parable. So when I was praying and saying, God, Jeremiah, you want me to preach out of Jeremiah? Why? I felt him say, because I want your people. I want my people to be ready. I want you to be ready to have a flask of oil in your pocket and for your lamps to be filled and your, whim, your, your wicks to be trimmed. See, the, the challenging thing here is that the unwise virgins not only were they unwise and not brought their own oil? They wanted to take from those that were around them. Well, you have it, so let me have some. I don't want to put in the work that you had to put in, but I want to be where you are. And I think it's incredible the wise virgins say, no, go and get your own. Go and do what I had to do, and it was to think ahead and to bring the oil with me. See, what this verse is saying is not, not that to fill your oil is, to, sorry, to fill your lamp with oil is not salvation. The Jewish people understood that it was a lifestyle that they outworked. It was, a, it was a constant filling of the oil. It was a constant carrying of the oil, waiting for the time to spend in the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven is like the ten virgins. So this is not a do it, get saved, your oil's been filled, your flask is in your back pocket and we ride it out. 
that what, what Jesus is challenging the disciples here is that there is a day in, day out filling and trimming of your wick to stay ready for when I come, for when I move, and for when my kingdom comes upon a people. See, we have been crying out for the last five years, I mean the last 30 years, for God to move on the Gold Coast. We have heard prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word that this place will be a place that God will move along the eastern side of Australia and out into the ends of the world. That there's been a place that this is the land of the Holy Spirit and what happened is, is we've all sat on our hands to wait for that to come. But God is asking us, will you, will you prepare your lamps? Will you fill the oil and trim the wick so that when I move, you are ready to go? I believe so strongly, and I, I don't like saying this because I don't like there always being a carrot dangled in front of us, but there is something happening in the spirit realm at the moment. There is a churning moving like we've never, ever seen it before. There are things in this city happening all over to churches and church leaders like we've never seen before. There is light being shone in the darkness and revealing the mess in his bride to prepare a people for what's coming that he's going to bring. But we have to be ready to fill out our lamps, to put oil in our pockets. To be a people ready, God, if you move today or in a year or in five months, I am a, I'm ready to go. I've cleaned my life. I've put worship on my lips. I know you, Holy Spirit, that when you speak, I know what you're saying. And when you move, I know when you're moving because I've spent time in your presence. I've laid my life down to know you. So when you move, I know it's you moving. What Jesus is preparing the people for in their time was the midst, was the move of a spirit that they had to be ready for. When Jesus dies and they go to the upper room, there are people ready to receive a spirit that was going to be outpoured that they didn't quite understand. They knew, go and wait till I give you something else, but they didn't know what the something else was going to look like. So they're standing in this upper room of people ready to hear God and this wind starts to blow. There must have been a bit, is this it? Is this what he said? Are we receiving this now? But they spent hours awaiting him. They spent hours awaiting. We must be prepared. This is why Paul in Ephesians 5, 16 to 17, he says this, Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul equates wisdom to knowing what the will of the Lord is. He equates foolishness to not knowing what the will of the Lord is. So if we take Paul's understanding of this verse from Matthew, he's saying the wisdom of God, the oil in your lantern is to know the ways of God. That's how Paul understood the verse, was to be wise in a time when he's moving is to know the ways of God. The only way that I can get to know Matt is how? To spend time with him, to know his likes and his dislikes, to know that he likes cake and a sweet 
with his lactose in it. To know that he doesn't like certain things. To know what will make him excited, to make him not excited. I have to spend time with him. Paul equates the wisdom of God to knowing who he is. That way we know his voice. So when you say, yeah, Ben, but I, I've been filling my, my land with oil. Spectacular. And the, and the other question is, but Ben, how do I fill my land with oil? How do I trim the wick? You spend time getting to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You spend time understanding God. Who are you? But how do I do that? There's multiple ways you can do that. You can read his word. You can spend time in prayer and asking him, who are you? Letting him speak. You can spend time worshipping him with your, your song and lips and, and declaring how good he is. You can carve out an hour in your day to sit, and it seems unusual, but to sit and say, God, I don't know what to do here, but I'm here. I came. I don't know how to pray real well. I don't know what to say, but I'm here, and I've given you this time. I promise you he will move. I promise you you will walk away from that, being enriched, having known Jesus a little bit more, having known him just a little bit more. That's what Paul equates to the wisdom. So why are we going to go to Jeremiah? Because I want a people to be ready. My heart is grieved that people aren't going to get on that train. That church leaders are going to be so caught up in arguing about a, a book that the, the man who wrote it told us not to argue about, that they're going to miss the train. That we're going to get so caught up in the politics of church history that we're going to miss the train. It grieves my heart. Because that's not what God's asking us to do. That's not how a people shift a city and a nation. People shift a city and a nation by giving themselves to the one who created that city and that nation. By listening to his voice to say, God, how do I reach a people that I don't understand? How do I reach a people that I've never, ever been able to understand? How do I reach the millionaires? How do I reach those who are poor and broken? We do all of that in the simplicity of learning how to hear his voice and doing exactly as he says. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. This is my parental warning from here. The Lord said to me in the last days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and, and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I'd sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. 
Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. We have two nations. Let's look at them as two ladies because that's how the Bible talks about it. Judah and Israel. Israel, firstly, goes out and commits an act that takes her away from God, an act of sin that takes her away from God. She sleeps around, she takes multiple partners, and she does it in the open for all to see. Judah, her sister, does exactly the same thing, exactly the same act to pull her away from God. She goes out and she commits the same thing, multiple levels of partners in the open. Both get caught in an act that pulls them away from God. But it's what happens next that is intriguing to us. It's what happens next that God shows right here in the Old Testament exactly what he was looking for in a people. When Judah comes back, sorry, when Israel comes back, Israel comes back realizing she did something wrong, but she comes back with her whole heart. She comes back with everything that she is. She says, God, I did the wrong thing. I spent time in the wrong place. I spent time distant from you. But now that I'm coming back, I'm leaving all of that behind and I'm coming back to you with everything that's in my heart. I'm giving myself over to you wholly. But Judah, when Judah comes back, she comes back to God. God, I did the wrong thing. I know that I wasn't with you. I know that I wasn't close to you and I'm coming back to you. However, I'm coming back to you partially. The word that you, he uses here is partially. In the Oxford Dictionary, it means an unfair bias in favor of one purpose or thing, a favoritism. So God, I'm coming back to you with my heart, but I'm holding on to some of the mess that I went out into. I'm coming back to you, but I want to keep some of my mess in my pocket. You see, we do this because to some degree, we kind of liked the mess that we were in. We kind of liked the place and the position that we were in. And we want to hold on to some of this mess. We want to stay in a place that says it's a little bit comfortable here, even though it's messy. But God says that Israel, faithless Israel, even in her lack of faith, she shows herself more righteous than Judah because her heart was purely for God. Her heart was in a place that wasn't partial. It was given fully over to God. So then we flip through the book, we flip through Jeremiah to, to one of the most famous verses that you've all probably received in a text message or on a card if you're going through something difficult or if someone wants to encourage you. And it's, it's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now that's where most of us, most of our cards, our bumper stickers, our fridge magnets, stop. 
Jeremiah is an extraordinarily difficult book to read because there's so much turmoil, there's so much hurt, there's so much wandering away from God. And while Jeremiah does leave us with a hope at the end of the book, he leaves us with a beautiful picture of hope. There's not a whole great deal of, man, I feel really amazing after understanding that. But we pluck this verse out and we put it all over the place because we, we want to feel like God's going to do everything for me and I'm going to have this amazing future and this amazing hope and all I have to do is just sit here and wait. And in a moment, there'll be a knock on the door and there will be a man there standing to give me everything that I always wanted, all my dreams and all my desires. But the difficulty thing is if you read the next line, you understand how you come into the plans and the purposes that God has for us. Verse 12 says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back back to the place from which I sent you into exile. When you seek my face, when you call upon me, when you give me all of your heart, then I will bring you into the place that I've always promise for you. O Israel, come even with your blemishes, come even with your faults, even with your faithless generation, come to me. And if you come with the wholeness of your heart, I will give you back everything that was taken from you. But the position right here is for us as a people to give ourselves to God with the all that we have. The wholeness of our heart, not holding on to anything from the past, not holding on to anything that we want because, well, Ben should deserve this. This feels good for Ben. But giving him all that we are, giving him everything that we are, offering God, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long, how, how, how wide. I want to be in your presence with you. I want to be with a people who know you. I want to celebrate your goodness and your glory with all that I have. It's going to be hard. It's already hard. It's already difficult. It's already challenging. But as a people, if we can learn how to give ourselves fully to him, he will restore your fortunes, gather you from all the nations, And the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God is asking us as a people to lay down our whole heart with no partiality, with no favoritism, with no no hidden agenda. And how do we do that? We call upon him, we come and we pray, we bring ourselves before him. We fill our lanterns with oil. We go and we buy extra oil. We buy extra time with him. We take every moment that we can to worship and to glorify him. Our lips constantly run with how good he is. Because we're preparing for a time 
when God comes and moves upon a people, we're preparing for a generation to be risen up, to take back what's been taken from a people, to take back what it is that hurts. It's all about the position of our heart. It's all about giving it to Him, saying, God, it's all yours. Luke 6, 43 to 45 says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bamboo bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. For out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here overflows to a people. What's in your heart can never ever be hidden. It can be hidden for a time. But the truth always comes out. The light always shines under the darkness. Sometimes it takes a time and you think to yourself, how could I be so silly? But the truth that's in you will reveal the darkness that's in somebody else. Not by way of pointing out Matt's faults, but when we start to spend time together, who he is shines light on who I am. So if I'm carrying something deep in my heart, if I'm carrying something, when I start to spend time with him, the light that's in him highlights something that's in me. And oftentimes we get upset when that happens. Because we go, I shouldn't have to change. I shouldn't have to shift where I am. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. But God's saying to you, would you come to me with the wholeness of your heart? Would you give me all that you are? And it is, it is incredibly difficult to say, I, I know that that's wrong of how my life is. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about sins that are in your life. I'm talking about ways in which we live our life towards God or towards something else. The way we give ourselves over to something or something else. I can't, I can't love Jess well if I don't give her all of who I am. I can't love her how she's supposed to be loved if I don't give her everything that I am. I don't even know where Jess is. She must be upstairs. Get a free one. Until she listens, until she listens back and she says, I listened to your sermon. I'm like, oh, what did I say? But see, I can't love my wife fully until she knows who I am. That's why a marriage is a journey. That's why a marriage, you have to walk out because the more I get to know her, the deeper I love her. The more I get to lo- know her, the deeper I love her. That's why I love seeing 80, 90-year-old couples who have been with their spouse for 60, 70 years. Could you think, how in the world? But there's a love. <laughs> a little cheeky, a little cheeky one. But there's a love that's been outworked over time because it's built on giving yourself to somebody.
That's why, that's why there's, there's a, a dating period, then a, I'm sorry, a friendship period, then a dating period, then a, uh, engagement period, and then a marriage period. Because each one of those levels takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. You give more of your heart and more of your heart and more of your heart until you enter into that marriage in which you say, okay, all of this is now yours. All of this is now yours. I don't know how to give it to you fully right now because I'm still trying to work that out myself. But all of this now is yours. Please, please don't break it. Please don't hurt it because I'm vulnerable to give it to you. I'm vulnerable to step into that place. Love love is giving yourself to somebody knowing that they can break you, knowing that they can hurt you. That's true love. That's why Jesus, when he went, sorry, God, when he sent his son, he knew, he knew that it wasn't going to save everybody. He knew that there was going to be some that were going to reject him. And I can't imagine what that looks like for the father to know that there's people, but I did so much for you. I gave you all of who I am. Yeah, but I don't want it. Because Jesus loves us. God, sorry, God loves us so much that he goes, I know that you can hurt me with this, but I'm going to give it to you. So when we come to God, we have to come with all of our vulnerability. We have to come with all of who we are. We have to outlay everything, even the parts that we don't really want to deal with. We have to bring to the altar to God and say, this is yours. Because I love you and I'm willing to give you something that you could potentially hurt in me. But see, what happens in, in, our, in our world is that as we grow up, as we grow Things come into our life that stop us from being able to do that. People hurt us. Things get broken in us. That's why God is a redemptive, restoring God, because he wants to restore you so that you can give it all to him because he knows it's going to be better for you. But our worldview, where we've been, our past, stops us from giving ourselves fully to God because it's so hard. One of the things that hurts me the most are Christians who have been hurt by the church and left and haven't been able to come back because their worldview in that now makes up how they're able to be loved and how they're able to love others. And that to me hurts because we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have been a people who got, a church who got people hurt, but it happens. But if you can break all that down, let all of that go, allow your heart to be given fully to him, then as Jeremiah says, I will bring you back into everything that you were supposed to have before. I will bring you back into the land that I promised you, the land you were taken out from, the land you were taken from exile. But it comes when we bring ourselves before him, when we bring ourselves to a place of worship, to a place of of absolute adoration and praise, absolute the end of myself. The reason for the last year and a half that I've been speaking predominantly about, about it's all about you, God. It's all about you. I give myself over. And there's been little to no emphasis on the, the turnaround where God gives back into us. Because if we can be a people who learn how to worship him regardless of what's going on around us, it never shifts. It never changes. God will pour out on you, I promise. But that's his job. Let him deal with that. 
Let him work out how he works in us and we just focus on giving him all of who we are. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Jess and I during the week had a, had a meltdown because we've had so many events on and so much stuff happening. And we just said, it's too hard. You know, we, we, it's just too hard. But I said, babe, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. A hundred years. A hundred years. That's all we have to give. If you can give a hundred years and then we come into a place where God gives us everything, we step into a place of eternity that, that is more than we could give in this little hundred years. It's hard to do that. It's hard when you've been kicked to say, Father, forgive them. It's hard when, when you're in a position of, of being threatened or you're in a position of, of being told you're not this or you're not that or you're not good enough or you've done this wrong or done that wrong. It's hard to say, Father, forgive them. That's hard to do. But if we can give God our life like that, if we can give God ourself from that place to say, this is all who you are, he says, I will bring you back from the place of exile. Does that make sense? Is, that, is it challenging? Does anyone have any questions? I don't know why I feel to ask this. No. Are you sure? No questions. <laughs> the honeymoon period. <laughs> it's a lie, Mark. It's a lie. No, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. <laughs> it's not a lie. But what it is, is that it's different to the place that we come into. It's the same when a new Christian gets saved. When a new Christian gets saved, they come into the church, their life gets changed, it's radical. For a lot of people, they want to go straight back out to the streets. Woo! And that's awesome. But what happens is they come in and then they become complacent. And they become over it. And it becomes mundane. And it becomes Sunday morning. And another Sunday morning. And another Sunday morning. And it's the same with a marriage. The honeymoon, it's all bells and whistles. You're out, you're at a, a, a honeymoon destination. It's exciting. There's new things happening. But then you come home and you have to go back to work. You come home and you have to go back to the car breaking down and the things happening and you're spending every waking moment together and you become complacent again. It's the same thing. But if we can learn to keep our marriage on fire, if we can learn to keep our love for God on fire, we don't become complacent. We become wiser and we become more precise in the way we do things. We become more pinpoint in how we go to the streets, in how we go to our neighbors, in how we go to the people and the places that are around us. We become more precise. But this and gathering with one another should never, ever become mundane, should never, ever become complacent because this is the heartbeat of what God's doing. A people who gather together to, to talk about him, to ask questions. Do you know why the Jewish, why the Jewish uh, um, students, when they were disciples, when they were coming up, one of, the, one of the tests they had to do to become a rabbi was that they had to ask questions to the rabbi about God. I, I don't know where it is. I, I, wouldn't, I don't want to poke it. But there's a, somewhere in, in the New Testament when Jesus is first born, he first comes into as a child, and the rabbis are, 
amazed by the types of questions that he asks. It says it somewhere in the scripture. The reason for that was that they would get encouraged by the way they kept the conversation of God alive. So the final test to become a rabbi was to ask questions because they wanted to know how well are you going to be able to keep the conversation of God alive in a people. That's why this is so important for us. Because when I get together with Dan and Josh and Matt and we start chatting about life and we get on to the things of God, we're keeping the conversation of God alive in our sphere. So when you go to the hairdresser and you're sitting there and you're chatting about what kind of cut you want or color and then all of a sudden things start moving on and then you get to the conversation of Jesus, it's exciting because now I'm keeping the conversation of God alive in a sphere, in an area that normally wouldn't have that conversation. So now I carry that into another place, but it was birthed from over here. So here I learn how to have a conversation and keep God alive in, the, in our conversation and in our sphere that when I come over to a place that he, he normally isn't, I can bring that in. That's why we have to learn how to continue to do this as a people, how to continue to give ourselves, to challenge one another. How do we do that? How do we keep ourselves in a place, in a position where we're still giving ourselves fully to God? Because the people around you will challenge you into more of him if you allow them that place. If I allow these guys the position to challenge me when they don't see me operating in God, then I get brought into more of him because of the way they're operating with me. Does that make sense? So yes, of course there's a honeymoon period. Yes, we get saved and it's all exciting, but it's, it's the guys who have been in this place for 20, 30 years. On Wednesday, I'm gathering in, in the building to, to pray and to spend as many hours as we need with as many church leaders who are willing to come. And we were here on Wednesday and God challenged me and broke my heart for, for one of the church leaders here in the city because he showed me what, what he had done for 30 years. He showed me a, a picture I, saw, I've not, I don't normally see many pictures, but in the last two weeks I've seen so many visions and dreams. It's been insane. But I saw this man. And he has been in this city for a very long time. He has been fighting for the Gold Coast, for the kingdom to come for a very, very long time. And I was chatting with, with another church leader and they said, hey, what do you think about where, what this guy's doing? And I said, oh, I think it's just old. I think... I think the mentality needs to change because it's, it's an old model. And then we were here, we were praying, and God showed me, absolutely slammed me, and I repented, and I apologized to this man because God showed me his feet, and he showed me a hand putting on a golden sandal on his foot. And he said, he said, this man has done more for me in this city than a lot of others. And he said, beautiful are his feet who carry the gospel. And in my... I just started to weep. I was like, like sobbing. I was a mess. Because I, I thought, if we could realize the way God sees us, the way God sees the things that we do in this city, the way we give ourselves to him, we wouldn't stop so quickly. But this man has fought for 30-odd years in this city, and he's never, ever lost the honeymoon period. He's never, ever become complacent. He's become 
upset with the way he's seen the people move, but he would gather a prayer meeting of one person to two people to 700 people. He didn't care because he cared for God in the city. He didn't become complacent. And I asked him afterwards, I said, what do you see in this time? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. I just know there's something. We're on the precipice of something. And he said, I refuse to let up. Man, I, I was at the end of the meeting, I was wrecked. Because for me, I was like, oh, it's old. We've got to do it a different way. And God said, the way he's been doing it is my way. You don't get to decide how we do it. Like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just give me your heart and I'll do the rest. Just give me your heart and I'll do the rest. So why don't you stand? I just want to, I want to offer an opportunity for us